Comics. Movies. Music. Video games. Technology. Blu-ray. Television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. together from remote galaxies are some of the most sinister podcasters of all time the long box of doom dedicated to a single objective the conquest of the comic book universe Hey everybody, welcome to the Long Box of Doom, episode 252. I'm Jordan from Jersey, and I'm joined tonight by Mr. Jim Dietz. How you doing, Jim? Hello. And uh, tonight we're going to be doing our December BS show, I guess. And uh, it'll be mostly dominated by wrapping up Marvel's Infinity event, as we have the last four issues of that uh, sitting in front of us here, or digitally sitting in front of us, depending on who you talk to. And, uh, and some other comic stuff as well. But uh, I... I I'm excited for this episode, Jim. You know why uh, I'm excited for this episode? Why is that, Jordan? 252 is one of my favorite numbers. Why is that, Jordan? Well, if you were to look at a calendar, uh, those things we used to use to tell time, or the the passage of days and months... Some uh, of us still use those, Jordan. I I hear, but I haven't seen one in a long time. Anyway, the 252nd day of any non-leap year is September 9th, which is my birthday. Why I know that? I don't know. I was bored one time, and I just remembered it. But, so, 252 is one of my favorite numbers. So you're born in 9-9? Yeah, and if you add up 2, 5, and 2, what do you get? 9. Whoa. Mind blown. (laughs) Yeah, it means it took me a lot longer than most kids to learn the difference between the day and the month in a standard uh, day-month-year notation, because mine are the same. So the first thing most kids normally have to learn didn't help me. Now, what did you do on nine nine ninety nine? Anything important? Or nine nine oh nine? Or probably had a birthday party. I would have been twelve, so so I don't really remember it. It wasn't exactly an eventful year. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) but you know what was really eventful, Jim? The Infinity Crossover? (laughs) You better believe it, sir. Uh, So tonight we're going to be talking issues 22 and 23 of Avengers, then Infinity number 6 of 6, and then wrapping it up with the epilogue, which is New Avengers number 12. I don't know. Just as an an overall uh, 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 view here, I I really appreciate the Hickman-ness of this this wrap-up, this finale. I think the word you're looking for is Hickmosnitude. Maybe Hickman-esque? (laughs) <laughs> like we nest, you know. It just, Hickmanicity, it, very Hickmany, you know. It's very much um, not really what I, I, I won't say what I expected, but kind of the level of storytelling I expect from him. You know what I mean? Like I didn't expect what specifically happened, but I did expect it to be a grand spectacle that would lead into more and more stories and more things unfolding. Oh yeah, I, I thought it was really solid. I know I've read a few people online who were somewhat disappointed with the way it wrapped up in Infinity Number 6. Um, I would have to majorly disagree with them, because they said it just came out of nowhere, and I thought it was pretty well set up since, I don't know, issue 2 of Infinity, even earlier if you want to just count the idea of Thanos having a son and why he wanted to kill his kids. Um, but you know, I thought it was really solid, and in particular the epilogue really, uh, to, to, to steal from an awesome movie, it really brings the whole room together. It ties that room together in an awesome way. 
it um i don't I, it seems uh, odd that people would say that considering that was the whole uh driving force behind why thanos was you know committing genocide everywhere was to try to take out his son or sons or offspring or what have you right right um so i mean you know to say that came out of the blue came out of nowhere i mean i don't know i don't think that's fair i think it, it was like you said it was pretty well set up it's not like you know it's just you know deus ex machina its way onto the stage you know so uh, when we last left infinity the builders had been defeated uh, Earth had been fully taken over by Thanos and his forces, and uh, the Avengers and everybody out in space had just been alerted, hey, a uh, problem's back home, so uh, when you wrap up this whole builder's problem, you should probably come back and help out. And so that's where we jump in with Avengers number 22. Which is, oddly enough, called To the Earth. Yes, it is. And uh, right off the bat, we get the answer to the minor question we had had from earlier, which is... Are Cannonball Smasher and fall? Smasher dating? <laughs> well, really, who who did Smasher fall in love with? Turns out it's Cannonball. And uh, we have a nice little scene between the two of them, and then uh, later Sunspot as well, which is it seems at first like it's going to be kind of a uh, angsty confrontation, but then turns out to be quite funny. It's funny how like um, Hickman is known for the big cosmic, uh, you know, stage, uh, you know, uh, Sturmundrang kind of a giant grand, you know, grand scheme, uh, um, you know, storytelling, big idea storytelling or whatever. But we get some really cool personal moments here with these characters, just you know, kind of uh, bantering back and forth. You know, they're obviously familiar with one another, having been under fire for as long as they have in this conflict. And uh, I, I thought that was really cool. They brought it down to you know personal level there. You know. Um, considering how much, you know, galactic, um, scaled, you know, warring is going on in this series. Right, right. I kind of wonder if this pairing of Smasher and, and Cannonball was a reaction to some misreadings of earlier issues in Avengers from Hickman, because I have heard actually quite a number of people who were under the impression that Hickman was writing Sunspot and Cannonball as gay. And mm, I, I wonder if this was a reaction. To, I didn't get it either, but I didn't get, then kept hearing people say, oh, no, I thought they were gay. And it's like, no, they're just like the best friends ever. And uh, apparently uh, people can't tell the difference. They've been together since, uh, you know, the New Mutants graphic novel, number one. You know, They've I been mean, best friends pretty much as long as I've been alive. Yeah, if not pretty longer. much. So, I mean, you yeah, know, that makes it makes more. I mean, I don't know. I have a lot of history with those characters. I guess somebody who wouldn't would, might draw that conclusion. But, I mean, as far as I've known, they've always been straight. Right, right. Uh, so then we cut over to Titan, which is one of the moons of Saturn, and we get the reappearance of one of the space uh, lizard space iguanas that we had seen in the Thanos Rising miniseries, as it sits on top of a skull. And then it gets shot by a couple of red shirt Thanos uh, guys, one of which who looks a lot like Darth Vader, who had been picked out a lot in, uh, I guess it was the free comic book day part of Infinity, and also Infinity number one. A lot of people had posted screenshots of this character saying, look, it's Darth Vader in the background. But uh, he shows up again, and apparently his name is Dak. So a couple of Thanos' guys are, you know, basically just shooting the lizards, the iguanas, for fun or out of boredom. When all of a sudden, the Avengers and uh, some of the Imperial Guards show up and knock them out. Looking very awesome, by the way. I know there was some uh, negative reaction to Falcon's space armor. And I don't know that I'd say I love it. But in this shot in particular, it looks really cool. Yeah, this is in the, I don't, this, the art. I found the Lionel U art uh, a little more uneven than the um, uh, Opinion art. And, you know, usually I'm, I really like Lionel U. I don't know if it's because he inked it himself. 
or, or what. I mean, there are some panels that are just absolutely stunning, and then just some that just kind of, some elements that kind of seem off. Like, if you look at, I mean, as in the same panel you're looking at, how cool that Falcon armor, you know, in the, spl- the semi-splash uh, page is, look off to his right shoulder, that whole, like, weird um, shadowing around Hyperion. It almost looks like Jay Lee. You know what I mean? Bit, up into yeah. the cape. It just kind of, I don't know, there, there are parts of this art I just found were really great and immaculate because I've always been a Leno Yu uh, fan. But then there are other parts I just found a little off and, and um, as you know, this and uh, issue 23 go on. But as far as the, the, I didn't have any problem with the space armor. It looked very, it looked very Stark Tech to me. Yeah, pretty much. I actually, I kind of like that whole shadowy effect on Hyperion. The, the art in this issue and the next issue, both from you, don't bother me at all. But uh, as we flip the page to a full-on splash of uh, the the reclaiming forces, if you will, heading back to Earth to rescue everybody, uh, that is an awesome splash page. Well, I'm not, you know, I mean, I'm in no way saying the art is bad. Cause, no, uh, no, again, I understand. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I really like his art. I mean, his stuff on uh, on, um, um, on on the recent run of uh, Hulk with Mark Wade was really great. Um, it's just the, uh, um, it, it just seemed a little more uneven. I think it's because he entered himself. Uh, that would be my guess, but uh, this is a beautiful page, the one you're referring to with all the ships coming in. It must be really fun for artists to think of weird, funky shapes for spaceships, for right. for a panel like this to put in, like, you know, I don't know, dozens. So, yeah, it, it's really nice. So, basically, uh, the Allied forces have made a pit stop on Titan to cut off any reinforcements Thanos might have there, and to keep those people or uh, various aliens on the planet from warning Thanos that the forces are coming. Which we then cut back over to Earth, where we have the Peak, which is S.W.O.R.D.'s uh, main planetary defense weapon thing that looks kind of like a sword. And on the Peak is uh, Black Dwarf, one of Thanos' generals. And in particular, I really like how Yu draws him. I actually think Yu has my favorite version of the character. He, I mean, he looks pretty similar between all the artists, but the shading in particular from you, as I flip through some of the pages here on Black Dwarf, just looks so cool. He definitely gives him that imposing, more imposing look than some of the other ways I've seen him. I mean, other other versions I've ever seen, he just come off as a big bruiser, but this, I mean, this seems more intimidating, more, you know, monstrous, you know. He looks very much like an evil version of the thing. Yeah, or almost reminds me of Mongol from, uh, from DC. Sure, I can see that. Uh, so uh, they, they are having a little argument over there on the peak. We then cut back to the fleet where Cap is getting a message from Iron Man, which uh, fills him in on everything that's been going on on Earth, or at least the stuff Iron Man is being truthful about, because remember, Iron Man part of the Illuminati, and they're keeping a lot of secrets. And so they start to prepare what they're going to do. We find out that Cap put out a call to some friends on uh, on the peak, and that would be the Guardians of the Galaxy, and they're going to try to disable it from the inside. I really like this one. There. Just, there are a lot of really cool little uh, flourishes here, like uh, uh, going back to, you know, on the peak with um, uh, Black Dwarf and his subordinate who, uh, you know, ends up getting smashed for assuming that, you know, he would, that Black Dwarf would have any shortcomings to the, you know, the little exchange here with Carol Danvers, you know, you know, Thanos goes through all this to kill his kid. Does that make sense to anyone? And then Annihilus Yes, <laughs> you know, just I really like I really like these little little you know bits. I mean, it'd be very easy just to kind of gloss over the characters and just plot point, plot point, plot point. You know what I mean? But they keep adding these little Hickman is great at adding these little humanizing character bits that just seem to really um, you know add so much more to the story. Yeah. 
So the fleet gets to a space between Earth and Mars, and they're looking down at the planet as they prepare for their uh, their main assault. And Manifold, Eden Fessy, is having some... Uh, he's questioning himself a little bit. He's got a few reservations about what he's going to have to do here, and he's looking to uh, Captain America in particular to give him some guidance and some encouraging words. And Cap basically says, look, you know, the heroic quest, the hero's journey, it's not really a real thing in reality. This is our job. This is what we've got to do. And we either live or we die, but we've got to do our best. And this does not exactly reassure Eden, but uh, after Cap and uh, Carol Danvers, Captain, uh, I almost said Captain Planet, <laughs> Captain Marvel, uh, make their way off, Thor comes up and he goes, look, I respect Steve and Carol more than anybody, but we got to tell you, man, they're wrong. There's, you know, I've lived for thousands of years. I've known gods. I've known humans. I've known aliens from all over the place. And every single person, every single entity out there has a destiny, has a purpose. And today, yours is the same as mine. We were born for this. We're going to do it. This is our destiny. you got to believe in yourself. Who would have thought at the beginning of this uh, this event that the breakout character in all this would be Thor? Yeah. And I mean, between, between what he did to the Builder uh, Envoy in you know, the past issues and, and this and you know, this pep talk and, and what we're going to talk about later in Infinity Six. I mean, he has really like been the breakout character for me in this series. In Infinity in particular, absolutely. So, they make their descent to the planet. Uh, we get another full splash page to end the issue. It's gorgeous. And we move on to issue number 23. Which is... Issue 23, which is titled, To the Very End. And we pick up with Iron Man, who is petting a lion. Of course he is. Full-blown male African lion. Because he's Iron Man. (laughs) And why not? And he's hanging out in Wakanda. Can I officially say how much I do not like the space armor? I agree with you in general, although I gotta say on this particular page, it does look pretty cool. Yeah, I I just don't like the design all that much. It's just, it's just me. But it's the God Killer armor. Right. Whatever that means. Sure. I haven't actually read this issues of Iron Man. I just know that's what it's called. Uh, so Iron Man and Cap have a uh, have a check-in to, you know, clue everybody in as to what's coming next. And uh, they say, see you soon. And we come to Earth where uh, everybody is once again conversing and, and just deciding, you know, last-minute plans. This is what we're doing. The Guardians of the Galaxy are in place. They're going to do what they can. Let's go. The ships fly in. And uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy get to the peak, and they find out that Black Dwarf is there. They were not expecting one of Thanos' generals. It's more than they can really handle. And uh, so they're not able to take him down as quickly as they thought. The peak starts firing on the Allied ships as they approach Earth. Everybody starts, I wouldn't say panicking, but just really getting into battle mode. Uh, a lot of them flying in space, some on ships, some just flying through their armor and other things like that. A lot of cool battle sequences. And uh, Cap has Eden Fessy, uh, Manifold, teleport himself, and Black Widow and Shang-Chi onto the peak to assist. They are, of course, also not expecting Black Dwarf to be there. Uh, so they get there and the fists start flying. Um, between that, we also have a nice cool speech from Clert, who's one of the main guys of the scrolls right now and will be definitely the main guy by the end of um, Infinity number 6 but uh, basically saying don't congratulate us yet, don't thank us yet for what we're doing to help you because 
we can thank each other, we can congratulate each other once our enemies are dead and we're standing on their bodies. Well, this character, Clerk, I mean, he was Super Skrull. He was exiled from the Skrulls. Um, they had a whole backstory in Annihilation. Um, so it, it's kind of cool to see uh, this character pulled back in, especially, you know, in a big cosmic war like this. Um, and, you know, to, for the Skrull, you know, the Skrull Empire, quote-unquote, since their planet got destroyed, you know, to be kind of spread around the cosmos or whatever, it's kind of cool that they have a rallying point now. Well, we'll see, you know, at the end of Infinity or whatever. Right, um, absolutely. But it, it's kind of cool they're trying to bring back, you know, pull, you know, the Skrulls have been around the Marvel Universe for a long time. It, it, it would be a shame for them to just kind of fade out. And I, I always like this character, this same character in uh, in Annihilation. So it's cool to see him used here. Yeah, and used well. So Shang-Chi, uh, Black Widow, and Manifold start attacking Black Dwarf. But like I said, they were not expecting him to be there, just like the Guardians weren't. Uh, so Manifold teleports back to get some assistance from the main fleet. And... Uh, we have a really cool scene. Shang-Chi, every once in a while, Hickman will just give him a moment. And this is one of them where Black Dwarf says, why do you still stand? And uh, Shang-Chi says, does a tree fall from a slight breeze? Even as yeah. he's bloodied and his uniform is ripped and he's beaten, beaten to hell, he's still standing his ground. But uh, it's at that moment that Manifold returns with no, none other than Gladiator, Annihilus, Super Scroll, and Ronan the Accuser. <laughs> Uh, pretty much a reformed version of the Annihilators. Yeah, if you added Quasar and... Quasar, definitely. Oh, Silver Surfer. Silver Surfer. And Beta Ray Bill. Oh, right, I forgot about Beta Ray Bill. Mm-hmm. But so they have an epic knockdown, drag-out fight between these major heavy hitters of the Marvel Cosmic Universe and Black Dwarf. Um, and he goads them on. He basically says, you know, you, you call me a villain, but you're all imperialists. You all control these empires throughout the, the stars. Who are you to judge? And that's when uh, Ronan the Accuser and, and steps up and goes, I, I, who am I to judge? I'm, I am a judge, and you have been judged, uh, more or less. I'm, I'm paraphrasing it very poorly. And then he takes his hammer to Black Dwarf's head and crushes it in a most epic way. That's kind of a Judge Dread line. You have been judged, yes. and then taking its head off like that. Um, Which is yeah. fun, because in issue 12 of New Avengers, uh, Doctor Strange gets a Doctor Who line. So we're getting all kinds of uh, references in these books. Talk about, oh man, and the, and the, like graphic portrayal of his head becoming street pizza, you know. <laughs> it looks yes. like a pinata full of Hawaiian punch. Just, ah. <laughs> and I love that then on the same page, to more or less wrap up that scene... Hickman gives us a comedic button of Super Scroll going, well, that was more enjoyable than anticipated. What now? Yeah. Good stuff. And uh, so they've taken back the peak. Uh, the ships are no longer going to be blasted out of, uh, out of orbit by one of our own weapons. And that is where issue number 23 of Avengers ends. And we head into Infinity, part six of six. I was going to say, the, the whole storyline with them taking the peak and everything is very Star Warsy to me. You know, uh, the, yeah, the it's very much the Death Star. Taking over the giant space station. Uh, I don't know. There, there are definitely some Star Wars elements there. So, Infinity number six, a double-sized, if not more, issue. I've got to say something about the Iwo Jima-inspired cover. Which was referencing stuff that happened in issue five. Right, where they're putting up the flag with an Avenger symbol on it. It's the Hulk, uh, Thor, Cap, and Iron Man. Yeah, and it's it's very nice, very minimalist. 
and uh, breaks the trend. You know, for the covers, we had the first issues, which were blue, then the second, which were red, uh, third was yellow, fourth was green, fifth was purple. And then we break that trend a little bit. Issue number 23 of Avengers, normally they would follow whatever issue color of Infinity happened previously, but we have issue 22, which is purple. Issue 23 actually follows more or less the color scheme of issue 6, which is the same as issue number 12 of New Avengers, which is a very light color scheme. It breaks the, the trend of following the Infinity Gems because five of them are destroyed, one is missing. I, I guess that's the intent. But they are, uh, I guess white would be the main color of them. Um, issue 23 of Avengers, which normally that color would, would follow an issue of Infinity instead of preceding it, but whatever. Um, it's you know got the white of Supergiant's cape. Uh, Infinity 6 has the mostly white um, flag and Avengers silhouettes. And then Infinity, um, New Avengers number 12, has the mostly white background. Yeah, Infinity number six is covered, by the way, is by Adam Kubert and Laura Martin, which is probably why it's so stunningly colored, because it's Laura Martin. You know, she's <laughs> right, right. really great colorist. And Infinity number six, uh, oddly enough, kind of telegraphing the ending, is called Amber. <laughs> That's true, yes. Although I don't know if, it, unless you knew what that meant, you wouldn't know what that means. Right. And and we kind of mentioned the artist before. All this is written by Hickman, of course. Um, the Avengers issues, both drawn by Lionel Yu. This issue of Infinity is uh, Jim Chung with some parts by Dustin Weaver. And then in uh, New Avengers number 12 is Mike Diodato on the art. And Frank Martin on the colors. And I thought that was a great strategy of them to not try to get one artist to do the whole thing. You know what I mean? Uh, and, and it worked out really well for him. It did. I mean, stylistically, they're still of a piece, but it all came out on time, and it all came out editorially in the correct order, continuity-wise, and it looks great. I mean, so kudos to Marvel for finally getting one of these right after Age of Ultron and all that. <laughs> right, right. And, uh, well, and some of the ones preceding it, too. But Oh, yeah. <laughs> and even with, you know, some of the issues have multiple artists. I think that's limited just to the Infinity issues themselves have multiple artists. I, there was only one point in the entire six-issue run of the of the book proper where I noticed a switch from artist to artist. I don't even remember where it was, but every other one was just seamless. They definitely picked artists that are stylistically close or can definitely, you know, that fit together. You know what I mean? You're not going from, like, a Keith Giffen to a John Byrne or something. You know <laughs> right, I mean? right. Or John Romita to a, uh, I don't know, to a, who's the guy who can't draw feet? Liefeld. Yeah, <laughs> that would be quite the shift. N- nothing like that. Thank God. So we start off with a bunch of uh, battle sequences, kind of movie trailer style, uh, a, uh, a montage, if you will. Ships blowing up, the Guardians of the Galaxy fighting. A nice panel of the Guardians, by the way. I really like that. Two that of panel. them, actually. We've got it on, on page number, I guess it would be three, and then page five. We b- right. both have uh, quarter or third splashes for them that are pretty cool. They're fighting with uh, um, Brand from Sword. Abigail Brand. Abigail Brand, thank you. Who, uh, I like her more and more the more I read her in Hickman stuff. I've I got to go back I and read those back in uh, I liked her back in Whedon's Astonishing X-Men. Yeah, see, I've never, I still haven't read his Astonishing X-Men. I still haven't read, I think there was a Sword miniseries, or, or a, not really miniseries, but a series that was canceled early enough to become a miniseries. I need to go back and read that. 
Uh, but the Avengers get back to Earth. We have a full splash of them landing. They're a bit off course, about 200 miles from where they need to be, but they're just happy to be back on Earth. Uh, Cap tells uh, Cap tells everybody which direction they're going, and Hyperion, because he's essentially Superman, looks over 200 miles to, uh, or f- uh, I guess it's 52 miles uh, to the direction they're going to go, and he can tell them exactly what is going on because he has X-ray uh, telescopic vision, if you will. Hypervision. He's Hyperion. Yeah, there you go. Hypervision. That works. Hulk, knock on the front door, soften him up, distract him. We'll be right behind you. That's the plan. <laughs> and then I like, and then Thor gives him, but harness your appetite banner, leave some for the rest of us, and Hulk jumps to their destination. Harumph. Literally jumps. With a harumph. Yeah, yeah. I do like the way they're drawing the crew cut here on the Hulk, by the way. Yeah, it works. It does work. Yeah. Uh, we then have some battles above space, uh, some more scenes with Cannonball and, and Smasher, which are rather fun. And then we cut over to Wakanda where the Illuminati has shown up, and they, they I guess they were there the last issue of Infinity and New Avengers, but they're finally down to uh, the gates of Necropolis, where they're trying to get in, and when they do, they find Black Bolt, who is being controlled and held prisoner by Supergiant, and she uses his power against them, and causes him to uh, unleash his sonic scream, which I guess is not technically sonic, but uh, to unleash his powers on them. Uh, big knockdown, drag out fight, but we cut kind of back and forth between that. Oh, we get a really cool badass moment of Doctor Strange, though. Oh, that's true. I mean, you don't get to see Doctor Strange be a badass too often, but you get to, you get to see it here. You know? Let me show you the abyss. <laughs> Bitch. And, and He's he mad, man. Cause, I mean, he, was, he got mind controlled by the you know the other Thanos, uh, Thanos' minion. Which one? The Black Maw? Uh, Ebony Maw. Ebony Maw. Thank you. Yeah, they all have some version of black in their name, pre- he pretty much. He is pissed. He broke out all the Sonic the Hedgehog rings in that one panel. <laughs> bring, bring, bring. He is not holding back. Uh, so then we cut over to the hidden and human city of Orlon, which I believe was in Iceland or Greenland. I forget off the top of my head. Uh, it's not really that important. But that's where Thanos, uh, three of his generals, and his son Thane are. And Thane is, of course, trapped behind a containment field. And Thanos basically says, well, I'm here. It's time to kill my son. That's what I came here to do. This is what we're going to do. Do it now. And at that moment, they notice something off in the sky. They question what it is. And then we have a three-quarter splash of Hulk yelling or roaring, really, as he comes out of the sky, goes to punch Thanos in the face. And before he even hits the ground, Thanos punches him and knocks him away. Here says, yeah, it says something about the power of Thanos. Thanos is not even moved. Yeah. yeah, he just kind of deflects the Hulk with a punch. So. And uh, so then uh, his generals start fighting Hulk. Uh, Hulk in, of course, his current banner armor, which is pretty neat. Um, and he's taken down pretty handily. Uh, Corvus Glaive is able to cut the Hulk's skin with his glaive. Um, it can cut an atom, so Hulk's skin is no problem. And uh, they're about to behead the Hulk when Cap's shield comes out and hits Corvus Glaive in the head. And uh, Thanos is, I wouldn't say surprised, but I would say thrilled that the Avengers are here. He does, there is a glint in his eye. You know, he's like, ah. And then on the next page. Now this is more like it, (laughs) because they drop into play, you know. And I love the angles here, where Cap is jumping in, kind of in a military stance. Thor is, you know, swinging his hammer down right behind him. Hyperion and Captain Marvel are also flying in, but they're both upside down. Like, the perspective of the whole scene is very cool. Yeah, it almost looks like they're, they're like, coming out of the sun. Yeah, yeah. 
and then the glint on Cap Shield and all that. Uh, we then cut back to Necropolis, where uh, Doctor Strange is continuing to unleash all of Sonic the Hedgehog's rings on uh, Supergiant and Black Bolt, uh, which involves tentacles, rings, all kinds of magic-y looking stuff. Uh, and she's using Black Bolt's power again to fight off the you know demonic tentacles, whatever they are when a hand comes out and covers Black Bolt's mouth, and it is Mr. Fantastic. And uh, they're able to take down Supergiant at first, but then she takes them out, more or less. They're, they're all taken monologue. out. monologue. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It is every time... It's so funny now, the Venture Brothers has ruined me so much, that every time a villain starts to monologue about their origins, I'm just like, oh man, here we go. <laughs> I'm doing it again! <laughs> Sabalak! <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, and so they threaten, uh, well, she, you know, she's been trying to get this bomb activated. Of course, the, the Illuminati have a bunch of planet-destroying bombs uh, hiding away in Necropolis because they've been preparing to destroy alternate Earths if they have to. And uh, so she's been trying to get to this bomb to activate it, and they tell her, look, if you activate the bomb, yes, you're going to kill us, but you're also going to kill yourself and Thanos. Think about what you're doing. And she then monologues and basically tells them, yeah, I'm totally fine with that. My reward for doing what Thanos wants me to do is that he would eventually kill me. And it's taken him a really long time, so this is going to kill me, and in in, uh, repayment for him taking his damn time, it's also going to kill him, so I'm just fine with that. Uh, we then head back to Orlon, uh, again, I believe Iceland, so- something like that, uh, where the Hulk, Avengers, and Thanos general fight is happening. And so at that point, Proximate Midnight uh, reveals that she can actually force the Hulk to turn back into Banner. We don't actually get an explanation of how that happens, but she makes it clear that her power is quite beyond what it might appear. Uh, Captain Marvel hits Thanos, people hit various people, big explosions, lots of stuff back and forth, and Ebony Maul, with his silver tongue, once again starts uh, setting, uh, spreading some seeds of uh, discontent, of, of chaos, as he starts whispering in Thane's ear, basically saying, uh, you know, your dad's gonna kill him, you know, and are you prepared to, to die when he's done with them? Uh, we then cut back over to Necropolis, where... Uh, Supergiant has activated the bomb, or is about to activate the bomb. She's just looking around for the trigger when we get a welcome appearance by Maximus the Mad, who who has a really awesome little speech, uh, which I love the way it begins, which is, Now, normally, you're just my kind of crazy, but there are plans underway that I am interested in, so I'm torn, as he sits there holding the trigger. And uh, he, he warns her, you always have to be careful of the smartest guy in the room, which is, of course, him. That's who he wants to appear to be anyway. And uh, he makes a deal with her. She gets what he, she wants, and he gets what he wants. So he triggers the bomb, and then he tells her, but you should have been warned about the most dangerous thing in the room, as Lockjaw teleports in, uh, and then teleports away to some distant remote planet, uh, teleports Supergiant and the bomb to the planet, woofs, teleports Wolf. back out, as she screams out no, and she and that remote uh, desolate planet are destroyed by the bomb. It's crazy. She says no, and he says woof. <laughs> I, I just I love how Hickman uses Lockjaw and Maximus. Um, I have not read Inhumanity number one yet, but I hope they are big players in that, um, or at least that they continue to be big players in like New Avengers because he just gets them, man. I mean, I, I'd say he gets them as good or better than Abnett and Landing did, and it's just always a delight to see those characters in particular on the page. There's some characters that are just really tricky to write that people just seem like, 
uh, I was just thinking, I was just uh, recording that Avengers versus X-Men special uh, that we're going to be doing in LOD, plug, plug, plug. Um, and, I, you know, there's some characters that are just kind of ticklish for some writers to write. Like, like Reed Richards, it seems like Hickman had a really good, solid lead on him, but a lot of people don't. Uh, a lot of people just write him as a jerk or whatever. Um, Cyclops and the X-Men. I, I don't think Bendis has a good handle on him at all, but I thought Whedon did, you know. And then uh, you see Hickman using characters like Lockjaw and Shang-Chi, and I think he has a super good handle on the Inhumans, so that's really makes Inhumanity interesting to me. Um, again, some, some writers don't know how to write the Inhumans, and, and he obviously does. He has a real affinity for the characters and really understands that Maximus is more like, he's like the Loki of the Inhuman family, you know what I mean? He's Absolutely. He's, you know, he's not, he's not you know, mustache-twistingly evil, he's more... You know, like a, a force of an agent of chaos. You know, and you know, not to take this away from comics into non-comics territory, but you know, they've been talking forever about doing an Inhumans movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And man, if they can just get the perfect casting for Maximus, we could have a whole other Loki situation in terms of you know, people go to the Thor movies partially to see Chris Hemsworth biceps. But mostly to see Loki because Loki's awesome, and they can possibly recreate that in an Inhumans movie if they just get Maximus perfect. Well, it's like like you guys were saying on Jersey Shore a few episodes ago um, about you know really like being drawn to or enjoying chaotic characters, you know. Right. Yeah. Maximus is definitely that. <laughs> this is one who doesn't have to be quite as evil as Loki, or at least on the surface, but he can be uh, a, a big pain in the, in the rear end, and he can also just be awesome. Well, he's definitely more self, self. He has the same self-servingness that Loki does. Like he's only there's only one side, and that's him. You know, um, he's not really playing for any other side. But where I don't know, we'll talk about I guess in a little bit. But where him and Black Bolt end up uh, at the end of the story is a very interesting place. It could yes. be, you know, story-wise. Uh, we then head out into space at the peak, where uh, we find that Starbrand and Nightmask are uh, are gearing up. And they're ready to fight back uh, Thanos' forces in space pretty much single-handedly in a half-splash. And that pretty much takes out them for the rest of the issue. Uh, most of them are destroyed. The ones that aren't destroyed, they go into full retreat. Because Starbrand is, I don't want to go as far as to say approaching Deus Ex Machina, but he's really OP. He's Captain Deus Ex Machina in this, are you kidding? <laughs> it's like, oh, by the way, we have Starbrand here. Pachang! Okay, cool, that was, that was something. Yeah. Uh, we head back to Wakanda, where uh, Lockjaw and uh, Maximus have returned, and uh, they kind of wrap up that storyline, at least for this issue, uh, pretty quickly. We then head back over to Oralan, where the fight continues, and uh, even the big heavy hitters are failing against Thanos' generals. Um, Hyperion gets sliced up by uh, both Proxima Midnight and Corvus, Corvus Glaive. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's always cool to see a Superman-level ca character being taken down, and this, of course, does not fail to disappoint. Uh, Cap and Carol, uh, Cap and Cap, if you will, are helping each other to their feet as Proxima Midnight decides that's the perfect time to uh, spend send one of her energy spears at them. Uh, Cap deflects it with his shield, or at least some of them. He takes some damage, but two of the prongs of the spear, or I guess trident at this point, uh, get deflected back and end up hitting... Corvus Glaive taking him down, and then Hyperion seizes the chance and burns him alive. Um, I like, I like it. it ties in also with what Supergiant was saying too about them all actually wanting to die. 
you know, Hyperion is like, this is your end. He goes, you cannot threaten someone with something with what they want. Yes. You know? and then, <laughs> Which I think has been said before in the series, and that's a cool connecting thread. And then Hyperion says, well, call it a gift then, and we get that nice half splash of him taking him out. And uh, I don't know how clear they've made or on what issue they, they've said it, but I know this to be the case. Uh, Corvus Glaive's life force, if you will, is tied to his glaive, hence his name. So he can't really die as long as his, his glaive is intact. So at that point, uh, Proxima Midnight grabs it and, and she says, I've, I have it, I have you. So as long as she's got the staff safe, the glaive safe, uh, her husband is safe. I keep saying safe, but you know that's the word for, of the day. And uh, so she grabs the glaive. She's standing next to Thanos. And Ebony Maul is still talking in Thane's ear. Still telling him about light and dark. Uh, you better hope there's a god up there listening. And at that point, we get Jim and I, and I'd say the LOD in general's favorite, uh, onomatopoeia, be it Krakathoom. And we get not one, but two on the very same page as Thor starts sending down the lightning right onto Thanos. Thanos, not phased at all. He orders Thor to do it again. <laughs> I know, and then is that all? Do you, or did you have something more? Very and, very Thanos thing to say, too. And uh, Thor brings the hammer right down on Thanos' head and tells him one of us is going to die here today. One of us dies now. They face off. They're punching. They're hitting with hammers. They're hitting with lightning. They're both taking punches, but neither one's going down. And at that point, Ebony Maul lets Thane out of the containment field and basically tells him, hey, you don't want to be death. You didn't want to be death. You didn't want to be Thanos' son. You fought this every day of your life that you were aware of your destiny. Now I give you a chance. Thanos can't be taken down by the mortals. He can't be taken down by the immortals. But can you take him down? I want to see if you're evolved enough. I want to see if you'll run. And uh, so Thanos... Pretty handily taking, I wouldn't say taking out Thor, but Thor is pretty much down to uh, some shreds of clothing and armor. Most of it is just ripped off. When Thane approaches his father from behind, and uh, he, and uh, and Ebony Maul asks him, "Are you the son of Thanos?" And he says, "Yes, I am Thane, son of Thanos, son of Thanos." And uh, we get a flash, and uh, we can see that Thane is very much taken aback by what has happened. And at that point, we kind of jump ahead in time a little bit. Um, because Cap was knocked out, and we have Iron Man waking him up uh, in a echo of something that happens in issue one of Hickman's Avengers, uh, where Iron Man asks him if he's having a bad dream, and Cap gets filled on filled in on what happened, and uh, we find out that what Thane's powers are is in one hand he has you know just death if he touches you you die, but in the other hand is something darker, much darker, and that is living death, and we get a full splash Pro- uh, Thanos. Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive's Glaive, all three of them trapped in a giant bl- block of, for lack of a better term, amber. Well, they all want to die, so this is a fate worse than death, just like the Ebony Moss said. Right. You know? So this would be the absolute worst thing you could do to them. And it reminds me very much of what happened to Thanos. I forget, I think it was at the end of um, uh, Avengers Annual number 8, where he gets turned into a statue. Um, and then later is freed from that as well. So they'll pretty much keep Thanos here until Aven- the third Avengers movie comes out or so and break him right. out, you know. But uh, I, thought, I thought I really liked the splash page of him trapped in the you know, stasis cube or whatever you want to call it. And we can live in the hope that in about 250 million years, we'll get to have a Thanasic park. Ba-da-da-da-da-da. Oh, hey. boy. <laughs> oh, boy. 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listeners. Everybody loves Mr. DNA. Uh, we then cut over to the epilogue portion of Infinity number six. Of course, we have more uh, epilogue in Infinity issue of New Avengers uh, number 12, but we have some here as well. And we have uh, a scene over in the Himalayas, uh, once the location of the now fallen Adelan, with Black Bolt, Maximus, and Lockjaw. And uh, it's revealed that Thanos or not, Black Bolt was always planning on detonating the Terrigen Bomb. He was always planning on activating, essentially, all of the Inhumans across the globe. And Maximus loves that uh, his brother pulled such a devious sneak attack and was planning to do it no matter what. No, I I know I read some people calling foul on this, but think about it, okay? Black Bolt was held captive by the Skrulls for years tortured, you know, and, and, and replaced by, you know, a doppelganger or whatever. His, his entire, you know, his kingdom was, was, you know, uh, you know, he, I mean, he blew up the, I mean, this is the only way the humans were, were, were basically originally uh, an experiment of the Krees to try to get them to genetically, um, um, progress because the Krees were genetically stagnant. This is like, I see this as a logical extension of that. He's doing the same thing with the inhumans, you know, he's extending them to the next level, you know. The student becomes a teacher. He's doing the same thing the Kree's the Kree originally did to the Inhumans. Right. So I didn't have a problem with it at all. And of course, that sets up Inhumanity, which again I haven't read the first issue of yet, but I'm super excited before. And then we have again another kind of movie end credits monologue type sequence, or not monologue, but uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Montage. Uh, montage. montage. <laughs> uh, so we have this montage sequence where they're rebuilding New York, rebuilding various places on the planet Earth, and we get uh, different scenes from all different places on the galaxy. We see the Ex-Neli are mourning their fallen brother, who died in combat, and they're basically going from planet to planet that was destroyed by the Builders, and making new ones, and, and taking the dead ones and rebuilding them. Um, kind of doing what they were always supposed to do, and what their masters had not let them do for a very long time. It's kind of amazing to think now that there's this whole cadre of uh of intergalactic beings that are just about adding or rebuilding and, and creating worlds and seeding life you know that's definitely going to play into some really huge storylines in the future i hope anyway it could you know well pretty much every panel in these last couple pages is seeding future stories mm-hmm. like everything that happens over the course of about three pages is just one panel after another of things that in any other book would be like the massive ending. But here it's just, here's, here's, you know, a third of a page is this major thing. And then another third of the page, which is another major thing that will have repercussions for years to come. I'm sure. Right. Uh, the Imperial guard vows that they're going to expand. They're going to rise up, fill the vacuum, uh, left by heroes lost and warriors fallen. Uh, we see on hollow with the Cree that they are preparing for war. The war drums continue to beat. Remember, the Supreme Intelligence, not thrilled with uh, the Accusers, and uh, led by Ronan. Well, he did smash his tank. <laughs> yeah, he broke you know, his He had to get a new tank. I mean, it's got to be expensive. I mean, the Curved glass on, is not cheap. I know, and the markup on the aquarium stores in, Korea, you know, in, the, in Hala, I've got to, you know, it's got to be high. <laughs> uh, Clert, Super Scroll, gets crowned the, uh, what is it, the Emperor of the Scrolls of the newly reformed Scroll Empire, on Tarnax II. Now, does this mean that the ex nihilite I said it earlier in the, you know, this montage or whatever, that you know, those races who no longer had a world were given one. Does that mean the Skrulls have a new homeworld now? That's a good question. I don't know if Tarnax 2 existed before, um, no, or if Tarnax 1 was rebuilt as Tarnax 2 or what, but yeah, uh, they, sure. they definitely have a planet. Uh, we find out that uh, Annihilus 
uh, took control of a world that had uh, access to a gate to the negative zone. So now uh, Praxis 2 is called Annihilation World. That can't be good. <laughs> no. <laughs> that can't be good. <laughs> That's all I can think Oh boy, that can't be good. Uh, Ebony Maul and Thane are off traveling the universe. That can't and, be good uh, either. Mm-hmm. E- Ebony Maul wants Thane to be even worse than his daddy. They're like the they're like the evil Obi Wan and Luke, you know. Kinda, yeah. Yeah. And uh, then we have uh, some scenes with the Illuminati. I thought that that story was done, but like I said, there's a little bit more here uh, where. Doctor Strange asked Tony, what did he tell the others? Because there's a lot of things that happened that they can't know about. And he told him that he would take care of it. And he lied about the things he had to. And uh, the others pretty much agree that they will believe the lie because they need to believe the lie. Um, they, they see the world as they want it to be, not as it is. And uh, they kind of discuss where they're going to go. And we end with a splash page of Thanos in Amber with Proxima Midnight and Corvus Glaive's Glaive in Necropolis in Wakanda. And as Tony Stark says, um, we continue, and though it may cost us our very souls, we gather the proper tools necessary, and we build, preparing for the unthinkable. And we should mention, even though it's not a part of the comic proper, one of the ads, uh, starting in March 2014, we still don't know the name of the story, I don't think, but it is a mostly black and white image, uh, a chalk outline of The Watcher. And it says, police line, do not cross. Somebody off to Watu. Yeah. I guess he didn't see that coming. Whoa. I know. And finally, New Avengers number 12 will be our epilogue for Infinity. And it's, you know, appropriately enough, entitled Epilogue. <laughs> and uh, first off, in Wakanda, we have uh, the Black Panther, uh, the male Black Panther, who is approached by his sister, the female Black Panther. And uh, over a series of pages, she again continues to ask him, what the hell is going on? Tell me the truth. Stop lying to me. What's, you know, because she knows Namor's been there and that he's been lying about that. She knows about the bombs. She doesn't know what they're for, but she knows a lot of big stuff is going down and her brother is continually keeping her out of the loop, even though she's technically in charge of Wakanda, if not Necropolis, because he's in charge of that. And eventually he is told that he has been uh, more or less excommunicated and exiled from Wakanda. Uh, His own people have forsaken him. They're tired of his nonsense, and he is being relegated to Necropolis. He is no longer welcome in his home country. And when he is standing there on his own, kind of looking dejected, we hear a slow clap from the bleachers, and down walks Namor at first. Uh, Black Panther thinks Namor is mocking him, but he says, I am not taunting you, T'Challa. I am applauding your bravery. And he basically tells him, welcome to the club of kings without a kingdom. That's crazy that he would get exiled from Wakanda. And you think about it, in Infinity now, and the few issues leading up to to Infinity, now Black Bolt, no longer in charge of Wakanda, Adelan, Black Bolt Kingdom, destroyed, and Atlantis was destroyed, so Namor doesn't have a kingdom either. Right. That's big stuff. It's a lot of stuff. And we see that uh, Black Bolt, Maximus, and Lockjaw still hanging out. Uh, they are. Uh, they've decided that they are going to continue to let their people believe that they are dead, um, even though they're not, because they have work to do. Uh, we then cut over to the Sanctum Santorum of Doctor Strange, where Doctor Strange uh, tells uh, what's his uh, servant's name, uh, Wong. Wong. Basically, tells him, "Bring me the Blood Bible. Bar the door." 
don't let me out. Don't open the door no matter what you hear. Um, I know the cost of using the Blood Bible, but basically I'm tired of sitting around doing nothing while others uh, do the darkest things that they have to to save the world. And then we get an awesome, mostly splash page of Doctor Strange unleashing hell in, in his Sanctum Sanctorum. As he says, uh, if I am to be damned by these decisions, then let it be using all the resources at the disposal of a Sorcerer Supreme. For I am not a pawn, I am the Doctor. I'm sorry, I'm a big, I've always been a big Doctor Strange fan. Um, my favorite team is, you know, was, was the Defenders growing up. And, uh, you know, to see him written and used well and, and used correctly, I, I always appreciate that. So. And when referencing Doctor Who, it's a win-win. If you say so, I'm not up on the Who. Yeah, uh, well, the, the phrase "I am the Doctor" pretty big Doctor. His his battle theme is called "I am the Doctor." Okay, and he that's has the a, one he I started has a battle singing. theme. Oh yes, he does. Okay, <laughs> it, and it is pretty epic, actually. It's it's a very cool song, okay. but that's not neither here nor there. Uh, we then you. cut back to Necropolis, where uh, Beast, uh, Mister Fantastic, and Iron Man are basically uh, reconvening with Black Swan to clue her in on what had happened. And this is where we go from a series ending that felt like the end of A New Hope, and we're turning it into the end of The Empire Strikes Back. And she basically goes, So, even though I've been trapped here, I, I understand you've had some big battle or whatever, and you won. Well, good for you. How long do you think that's going to last? She asks them what they're going to do next, and, and Tony says, I don't know, maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe we'll figure out what we do. Um, and B says, Sol- solve the problem, save the world, to which Mr. Fantastic corrects, save the worlds. And she looks at uh, Thanos encased in the amber, and she looks back and she says, I think not. And she explains, uh, you know, I keep telling you, you're going to have to be prepared to destroy worlds. And every time, at every turn, every incursion, you've lucked out. Someone else has destroyed another universe for you. When are you going to be able to stand up and take care of these threats yourself? And uh, Beast brings up, you know, actually, we just fought these guys, the Builders, super powerful. They were behind a lot of this stuff. She cuts him off before he can even finish a sentence and just starts laughing in his face. And she says, the Builders, she says, the Builders, you say, how very ominous. That is indeed some threats. She goes, system creating universal migrants, creators and engineers more than capable of destroying worlds. Did you not find it strange? That they were limited in how they moved throughout your universe? That a race so advanced was limited to traveling in in what was essentially a straight line? It's because their vessels were not uh, built for traveling great distances outside of their superflow. See, they invested heavily in their conduit, and now without it, they are trapped and unable to elude Rob Malau, just like you, just like me. Tell me, Stark, does it sound like I know what I'm talking about? And then she tells them, Are you aware that these builders are confined to under 5,000 realities? Who worries about a dog when facing a demon? Uh, which I, I quite like that uh, we're kind of putting a cap on, even though it's an infinite universe, the builders only exist in a few of those. <laughs> and as, then we get this cool splash page as we see some some upcoming villains that we've seen hinted before, but she ends with this really cool monologue where she says, Haven't you been listening at all? There are worse things coming. You fret builders, but what if it had been the map makers, not just their Sidera Maderis, or Sidera Maris, but the masters themselves? What if it had been the Black Priests? And what if it had been the Sinuserum, the Ivory Kings? What would you have done? All of this, like children playing. What, you, 
What you just went through, it only had the appearance of finality. It lacked the effect. That ends now. Empires have collapsed, kings have fallen, men have perished, worlds have ended, and that's just the beginning. Everything dies. And we get, of course, that callback to a phrase we've heard many, many times throughout Hickman's run, not just on Avengers, but I also believe in Fantastic Four and FF as well, and, uh, of course, S.H.I.E.L.D. and probably um, Secret Wars as well, but that everything dies is how we end the epilogue of Infinity. It's all one big story that Hickman's telling, man. <laughs> Someday, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, when he's an old man and retires from comics, he will finally finish telling the story that he started telling several years ago. Way back in S.H.I.E.L.D. and Fantastic Four and whatnot. Um, it's interesting to me that um, I was reading an interview with uh, Hickman, and he was talking about how you know, the end of Infinity was not a good jumping on point because it's just the beginning of... It's like the prelude to the real story, you know? And this definitely sells that and sends that that idea home, you know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think he said that he's got basically a five-arc story planned out so far, and this is just the end of arc one. Right. So, uh, not a good... It'd be like jumping in at, uh, you know, the beginning of Empire Strikes Back, not having seen Star Wars, not knowing what was going on. But uh, we, we do uh, recommend that you pick up Avengers and New Avengers and Infinity, because it is very worth it so far. Definitely, and I'm... Uh, when the inevitable omnibus of this uh, story comes out, I'm definitely going to be buying it just because uh, the, the art is beautiful, the story is great, um, well told. Like I said, nice mix of giant, you know, big scale cosmic stuff. Uh, I said from the beginning, and, and I, I stick by this statement. I really hate it when um, you know Marvel has and you know has or DC or any you know comic company really have, have these giant you know events. You know, it changes everything. It's earth shattering. It's blah blah blah, and it's just very small scale story that could you know easily been told in the pages of the regular comic. This is an event in capital letters. You know, this is you know cosmic in in, in you know in every sense of the word, and the scale of the story, the, you know, the players involved, and, and, and also in the payoff and in the setup for the next part of the story. So, um, And the next part and the part after that. The like, part there's after so that. much setup here. You know, this is years of story are set up in the last few pages of this book. So, something else I've said before, I mean, Hickman's in the long game, and you, it's really refreshing to see that after we've been conditioned to, you know, um, everybody writing for the trade and writing these five and six issue arcs to actually see someone who, you know, is writing serial fiction in that kind of scale, you know. So one way you might be able to catch up with Avengers, New Avengers, uh, some other titles, Jim has the full list, is uh, what Marvel is going to be doing with all new Marvel now with some of its selected titles and free books. So clue us in, Jim, what's going on? How can we have access to a bunch of free stuff? Well, um, I, as you may or may not have heard, there's now all new Marvel now. Which I is have even, heard. Which is even more, it's like the next wave of Marvel now or whatever. There even There's even a really um, kind of stupid renumbering now. They're, they're going to be well, it's kind like, of. Well, it's 24 point now. Yeah, they'll have a big number one on the cover for certain issues that aren't number ones, but it's number one of the new storyline or right. number one of the new whatever. Right. Well, the um, these these the the comics that I'm about to read off to you, um, each of those not only include the digital copy of that comic, but also a code for the entire. It says in the press release the entire first collection of that series uh, for free. I'm assuming that's the first trade or the first story arc, which would be. Weird, considering that you know Hickman's Avengers really doesn't have that kind of arc working through it or whatever. But anyway, the comics, <laughs> right, right. 
The the comics are Avengers Twenty Four Point Now that's on sale on Christmas Eve. Event, uh, Savage Wolverine number fourteen Point Now on sale uh, January eighth. Uh, all new X Men Twenty Two Point Now uh, on sale January twenty second uh, of twenty fourteen. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, number eleven Point Now on sale on the twentieth of January. Captain America sixteen Point Now. On sale uh, February 5th. Uh, Thor God of Thunder 19 point now. Um, on sale the uh, the 12th of February. Uh, Nova 13 point now. Um, it's, it feels weird coming off my tongue saying point now. Um, <clears throat> on sale on the February on February 19th. Uh, Iron Man number 23 point now. On sale uh, March 19th. Uh, Uncanny X Men 19 point now. On also on March 19th. And then on March uh, 26th, the final one will be Uncanny Avengers, uh, number 18 point now. So, um, of those, I would definitely recommend the, uh, of the, all those, the Thor, the God of Thunder. The first arc of that was just incredible. Um, oh yeah, a lot of those first arcs, a lot of a lot of those titles were really good. And, oh yeah. And I guess we should use this as a opportunity to plug the new HHW LOD Podcast Network Facebook page. If you go to, I believe it's Facebook.com/slash HHWLOD. Uh, you have the brand new page. We've kind of combined the pages, not the groups. The groups are still separate, but the pages. So if you just want a one-stop shop for all the news, all the books that are coming out, lots of giveaways, um, all the shows that we release, all that kind of stuff, um, we will at some point most likely be giving away some of these codes because, hey, I have all of Avengers so far. When I get that code for the first trade, I don't need it. You know, a lot of that stuff will be given away for free, first come, first serve. So go over to facebook.com slash HHWLOD and uh, like the page so you can win some free stuff. Uh, we're, we've already been giving away codes for movies, ultraviolet codes, iTunes codes, all kinds of fun stuff. Right, and it's a lot easier for us to just have one clearinghouse for all of our content as it goes out rather than you having to be in five or six different groups to, to figure out what we're doing, so... It makes it easier for all of us. So, uh, HHWLD Podcast Network is the group. Please like us, join us, all that good stuff. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell a trusted friend. But this is a great deal for people, and I, I can see why Marvel's getting behind pushing on this, um, you know, getting people into the storyline. It's just that, I don't know, if you're the first trade of that, and then you're on issue 19, aren't you going to feel a little lost? I mean, I don't know. Cause, I mean, hey, look, free stuff is free stuff. Yeah, and I I'm mean, I think the way they, stuff. Don't get me when wrong. they first announced it, they even phrased it in sort of a way, in the way we're doing it, which is, hey, for people who read this book, you now have a code to give your friend who isn't reading the book to get them into it. You know, it, it's, I wouldn't say free marketing necessarily, you know, because they are giving stuff away, so it's money they're not making, but... You know they're they're using it as marketing. They want you to give these codes away if you already have the books and get people hooked on awesome stories. Right. I was just gonna say it's it's smart marketing for them because those digital copies are just sitting there anyway. It's not going to cost them anything really, other than the servers. And right. uh, okay. you know it gets it gets people into their and it's a lot. I think it's a lot smarter than you know rebooting everything again. Although they are kind of rebooting it with the like you said the the covers look like number one issues, but they're actually not. But the numbering stays the same, so right. uh, OCD people like myself don't have to get all ticky about it. It's just odd. I find it <laughs> odd. It is weird, but it's better than them just renumbering again. Yes, I guess uh, I guess that's true. So what else is going on in the world of comics for you these days, Jim? 
Well, I've been slightly watching uh, or, or um, reading. I've been reading Injustice, uh, Gods Among Us. And that's the tie into the video game, right? Right, and it's much better than a tie into a video game comic should be. Um, <laughs> Fair enough. Imagine uh, Kingdom Come, but kind of pushed to eleven. Like the, some of the same things, some of the same uh, um, things that happen in um, Kingdom Come happen in this story, but different outcomes come from them. For instance, you know, Lois Lane is killed by the Joker, uh, but instead of you know Superman retiring and leaving the world to you know more violent heroes, he becomes more violent heroes. So it's kind of like, um, you know, you've seen, you know, shadows of this in like the justice Lords episodes of the justice league cartoon, or, you know, the original miracle man or, you know, Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, you know, just like, um, taking the rain, you know, Superman actually taking the reins of power of the planet into his own hands to make people safer, but not actually better off. It's just, you know, kind of dystopia under Superman and the way the rest of the superhero community reacts to that. And, uh, it's been a digital comic, and the art's been kind of uneven, uh, but the story has been consistently great uh, all along. So I've always been a fan, like Russ, of um, like Elseworlds-type tales and, and you know, remixing, um, you know, remastering um, you know, these, these heroes. That's why I've also been reading Earth 2, actually, um, from DC. It's kind of its own continuity. James Robinson was writing it up to the last um, uh, uh, issue, and it's it's kind of a cool remix of those characters. At first, I was um, kind of um, down on it just because it was. Kind of, I thought it was kind of crapping all over the the legacies of those heroes or whatever. But actually, it's turned out to be um, a really cool kind of. I hate to use the word reimagining, but that's exactly what it's been um, of those Earth Two, those original you know, DC characters. And I've actually been enjoying it more than uh, I've been enjoying the the new Fifty Two version. Uh, of those characters, so uh, it's been written by Tom Taylor uh, throughout the whole thing. Uh, the fictional a, character from the unwritten? No, no, no. <laughs> that would be a, that would be a feat. That would be that would be bizarre, wouldn't it? That'd be kind of meta beyond meta, but no. Especially for an Earth Two book. Yes, a book about Earth Two, an alternate timeline. Hmm. Um, the art's been by uh, Jeremy Rapak, uh, Mike Miller, Bruno Redondo, David Yarden, and Tom Derenick. And I, the Tom Derenick art's probably the best of the bunch. But um, it's it's interesting how they took what should have just been like a kind of throwaway project that you know tying into a video game, uh, you know, a fighting game at that, you know, without really a lot of story to it, and really making something out of it. And it's been for me one of the best. You know, com- it's definitely my favorite DC comic I'm reading right now. So, um, as Injustice Gods Among Us, I definitely recommend that. Uh, Five Weapons is about to be put into a trade. If you didn't read that. You really should. Imagine if Hogwarts were for assassins. And that's kind of the premise. It's by Jimmy Robinson, writing, drawing. Uh, probably best known for Bomb Queen. But this is his new IP, and it's really great. The The lead character, the, the point of view character, is kind of the, the kind of guy who's almost like Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock. He's always the smartest guy in the room and always a few moves ahead of everyone he's around. Um, it's now in a trade, and it reads better in a trade because it was written as a miniseries. Um, I would definitely recommend that. Uh, Five Weapons, that's by Image. Um, what are the Hufflepuff assassins like? Well, it's interesting because instead of the different, you know, um, they do have different houses, but it's by the weapon specialty. So there's the House of the Blades, there's the House of the Guns, you know, there's the House of the the, um, the, the Bow and Arrow, you know. So that's how they're broken down rather than, you know, Slytherin and whatever. So uh, I would definitely recommend that, that book, Five Weapons by Jimmy Robinson. 
That sounds cool. And who did you say published that one? That's Image. Image. Okay. Um, that's about to come out in a trade. Uh, it re- it, um, it's a five issue, uh, five issue run. Have you read anything good? Have you been following with Saga? Keeping up with Saga. I am behind on pretty much everything. I was telling Jim off the air, but uh, I've been unemployed for a while, so I haven't been making money. Money runs out, and so I start a new job as we record this tomorrow. But I've been buying a few books every couple weeks, and my shop has been graciously, I appreciate this so much, uh, but they've been holding the rest of my books for me until I have money again. So aside from, like, Infinity and a couple other books, uh, Superior Spider-Man and stuff, I have just not been reading anything, unfortunately. And Saga, I always read in trade, so I would be behind on. But so I don't have a lot to add uh, comic-wise. Superior Spider-Man continues to be good. Obviously, you know my thoughts on Infinity Avengers and New Avengers. And other than that, I haven't really read anything. Well, you know, it's, uh, it's good that you're going to be employed again. That's always yes, helpful. Yes, it is. It's always helpful. Because uh, daddy got to eat. There's always money in the banana stand. I hear that. Yes, there is. There actually really is. Um, but yeah, this I've been uh, reading a lot of the Valiant stuff, like I said in the last show. Um, it's been... Uh, Unity just came out from Valiant, and that's really good. It's almost like... Uh, the, the weird twisted version of the Avengers, um, uh, it's, it, it, but but not. <laughs> it's kind of it's it's showcasing a lot of their best characters, uh, but tied together in a storyline that that is um, bigger than all of them. Uh, but definitely, it's it's interesting because the, the th- same thing I like about the Valiant um, books is what I like about the early Marvel universe books is that the universe is small enough that you can actually keep up with everything that's going on. So, um, you know, even if you're not reading every book, you can know, oh, okay, well, that's that guy from there, and, you know, this is affecting this, and uh, everything that happened in Unity was a very logical uh, extension of what it was happening in the rest of the books, so I was pleased to see that, and I definitely recommend that, too. The, all the all the Valiant stuff has been pretty strong, and, and usually it's, it pops up on Comixology for 99 cent sales um, here and there, and that's why I collect, that's why I've been getting a lot of them. But I have been buying. I bought Unity straight off uh, the rack. I also buy Ar- Archer and Armstrong every month. Not to not to you know tease anything or, or get anything out of the way. But um, what are, what are some of your uh, uh, picks? I mean, we're about to we're coming up on the duties, everybody. I mean, if you're a long time listener to the show, you know what that means. Uh, that we're going to be uh, you know picking our best of the year in pop culture, movies, TV, uh, acting, and so on forth. Um, if you had to you know just kind of divulge part of your short list right now. Jordan for best comics of the year. Well, I mean, Sorry everything preview. Hickman's been putting out across the board, be it from Marvel or from Image. Um, I, I didn't really love God is Dead, but that wasn't really Hickman. It was a Hickman idea written by, I forget who, Joe Mad maybe, but um, everything he's been writing himself that he's been putting out across the board, I've been loving. Um, Superior Spider-Man has just been so far and above better than it has any right to be. Um, just taking this ridiculous concept and turning it into an awesome book. Superior Foes of Spider-Man, I've talked about a bunch. Oh, that book is hilarious. Just amazingly book. good stuff. It's like if you're not reading it. It's like, it's, I don't yeah. know, it's great. <laughs> you don't, and, and I, I want to make this clear for people, because I know it's one of those books that, you know, people just assume, oh, I'm not reading Spider-Man, so there's no reason for me to read Superior Foes of Spider-Man. You don't need to be reading Spider-Man at all. You don't need to know any of these characters at all. It's just fun. Spider-Man's it, not even in it. Yeah, I think he shows up in a flashback in one panel in yeah. the first book. I mean, it's not That's like it's it. a Spider-Man book. And uh, it's just oh, so much cool stuff. Um, what, what else have I been really enjoying this year? Saga's been great, of course, um, although they didn't publish that many issues of Saga this year. Um, 
I, I mean, I haven't fully settled on all my picks and stuff yet. But there's been, I mean, just a lot of really solid stuff. There's been very few books this year that I've just been really disappointed with. I guess Thunderbolts, although that might have been the end of last year, was pretty terrible. But uh, Young Young Avengers has been great. Um, pretty much all the Avengers Arena has been great. I know that ended. I have not read the end yet, um, so don't spoil me. No, but it's going to be transitioning into... Um... I, I want to say the new Secret Avengers, but that's not right. The, whoever the, the kids that do survive Avengers Arena are going undercover in the Masters of Evil. Yeah, what is that? I, I know exactly what you're referring to. I can't remember the title of it, but I, I love what they've been doing all the way since Avengers: The Initiative, with the Initiative, then Avengers Academy, Avengers Arena, and then whatever the book is that I can't remember the title of next, where they kind of do it as almost like a British series style instead of a, an American season like most books are. This is they do for a year or two one thing, and then they take those characters and put them in a different setting, or take the setting and put in different characters. And it's it's almost it's it's a it's more connected than an anthology, but it's less connected than an overarching series. Right. And it's a lot of fun what they've done with it. Um, I did read Inhumanity one, by the way, and so without uh, spoiling it, what did you think? I I thought it was interesting. I I, I tend to like um, I don't know I I. Was kind of I, I'm not going to spoil uh, who uh, this happens to, but um, a semi-major character gets killed, uh, dies by the end of the uh, first issue, and um, it, it was kind of a, a, a shock to me. Especially I mean, Matt Fraction wrote in Humanity Number One, and um, I'm kind of hit and miss with him. I mean, I really loved Iron Fist, I really loved Haw- I love Hawkeye, but you know, he he basically destroyed the Defenders, one of my favorite franchises, and. Uh, yeah, that was that was bad. <laughs> and uh, and then laid to waste my next favorite franchise, Fantastic Four. So <laughs> I am a little trepidatious going into Inhumanity by him. But um, this was a solid first issue. A lot of it was set up, though, kind of setting up the status quo of the Inhumans and what where they are and what's going on and, and that kind of thing, and just kind of uh, almost like a roll call in some ways. But... Um, the the climax you know the the end of it was kind of kind of shocking to me it's a character i've known for a long time and actually kind of liked because he had a very uh, unique ability but um uh it, it i don't know i i'll check it out i'll stick it out for a little while to see if it it uh it, it peaks it continues to pique my interest you know yeah i'm i definitely agree with you on fraction i know we said it many times before but yeah i run so hot and cold on him some books hawkeye was great or is great i love his ff i hated his fantastic four his defenders was god awful um fear itself was eh, but then the order was amazing like it's it's amazing like he's one of those few writers that i will check out no matter what but it, i'm 50 50 on him you know where some of those books they just hit every note for me and others miss just about every single shot they take right I feel like he does better with uh, single characters rather than team book situations, it seems. Uh, I don't know that I'd agree with that, because I like some of his team stuff. Like I said, The Order and FF were both fantastic. Yeah, but... The Order was really great, really underrated and great, you're right. Um, or The Champions, as some people might know it. Um, but yeah, you know, it's... it's it's. I, I appreciate that he goes for it. Like, he gets an, a bug in his brain, and he goes for whatever story he's got there. It's just some of those bugs are better than others. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And the and the ones that are the others are really bad. Even the best hitter doesn't bat a thousand. So that's true. 
although I don't know how much he plays baseball, but that's beside the point. <laughs> um, yeah, so, I mean, what what books, you know, b- besides, you know, you asked me what my top books were. Did you say what your top books were? I have to say Private Eye. Oh, um, Private Eye. How can I forget? That's so good. Um, Private Eye is just blowing me away. I finally got caught up with that, and I, I was kicking myself for not having, you know, read it more recently, you know, before I did. Um, and I don't know if I said it on LOD, but I'm actually in the letters pages of the most recent issue. Sweet. I'll which was really cool. Out. I'll have yeah. to check that out. That's awesome. Um, Jupiter's Legacy, Mark Miller and Frank Quitely. Um, they're two great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> Again, it's kind of a weird riff on Kingdom Come. It's uh, it's like the older generation of superheroes versus the younger generation, but a lot more of that Miller sensibility, and it, it really works in this story. Um, Astro City, I love. I've loved since the beginning, and I'm so glad it's back in a monthly uh, for, from you know what's left of the Vertigo line. Um, Ed Pisker's Hip Hop Family Tree. I don't know if you've catch catch that at all or read any of the reviews, but man, that is an incredible work of art. Um, it's a treasury size, like the old school 1970s treasuries. Okay. Um, the the color scheme is done in 1970s uh, comic book color scheme. Um, the art is very uh, very has like different design elements from that. Um, in in the 80s version he's doing now, he's done that again. He's just kind of genius. He's he's telling the entire history of hip hop hip hop from the beginning, uh, from a fan's point of view, and it's just been really great and, and just awesome all, all all the way around. Uh, Lock and Key, um, I've been really enjoying this year, and uh, Saga, of course, uh, Archer and Armstrong, I already mentioned. Uh, Super Mag by Jim Rugg was just the best, the best single issue I've read all year. Um, Breath of Bones by Dave Wachter and Steve Niles was really, really great. Um, there's been a lot, like you said, there's just been a lot of really great comics this year. It's hard to really, it's, I mean, you know, this, you know, the end of the year list, you know, is kind of expected, you know, from the, you know, our kind of podcast or our kind of media outlet or whatever, but it's always, I mean, this has been a really tough year to, uh, to winnow it down. Absolutely. But Hey. I'd rather have too many choices than too few. Yeah. We've had years with the duties uh, where there's been, at least in some categories, things where I was just like, I have no idea what to put here. You know, there's five slots and I've got one name or, you know, two titles or something to put in there. And this will not be one of those years for most things. The thing that has amazed me, and I went back and looked at some of the older spreadsheets, is that, except for a few things. That's like, right, folks. We, we prepare the duties in spreadsheets. No oh, lie. Yeah. Hey, we, we're, we're professionals, pal. We prepare, okay? <laughs> I'm only half drunk, thank you. Um, but uh, except for a few things that have repeated, like um, you know, Saga and Lock and Key, or what have you, a lot of the a lot of the things are different. A lot of the titles that we've picked so far are, are different from what we picked the year before. So I, I like that. Then I feel like you know that keeps things from getting stagnant. You know? So as we uh, as we head that tractor into the barn, what uh, what stuff is coming up on the HHW LOD podcast network that we should clue people into, Jim? We, we talk about the duties. Well, of course, you have the the out now uh, end of the year extravaganza that those gentlemen always do with their best movies of the year, and which is always a lot of fun. And always, every single time, there are at least two or three movies I hadn't heard of or flew under my radar or whatever that just blow me away. Um, so you definitely want to check that out. We have the, uh, our, of course, our, our um, I guess it'll be, what, sixth annual Christmas episode? Uh, yeah, what the dudes want for Christmas. What the dudes want for Christmas, featuring, uh, as always, uh, the stalwart Sean, the, you know, the um, 
the the fifth beetle of the dudes, uh, Sean Pryor. <laughs> now you saying the fifth beetle is that because you've recently listened to HHW three fifty? No, it's not. I did okay. listen. I know. I'm not getting a reference though because I did listen to that episode, and after listening to that, I'm convinced that Bill McCollum. Uh, Bill McGowan and I need to get together and do a bonus episode strictly about 80s music. <laughs> uh, for anyone who has not listened to Half Hour Wasted episode 350 yet, which, shame on you. And congratulations uh, to those guys for making absolutely. it to 350, totally. There is an extended riff on who is the fifth Beatle, as well as who is the eighth Beatle, the 18th Beatle. Well, it gets weird by the end. 14.5 Beatle, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the negative third Beatle, all the that kind of third stuff. Beetle. Frank, Frank had some, uh, some good things to say about the negative third Beatle. And a lot of fun music in that episode too. Yeah, yeah, it was a real fun episode. But um, uh, we, uh, you know, half hour wasted, of course. Uh, well, the you know, what the dudes want for Christmas, and then we'll have the setup for the duties, and we'll start the voting, and then we'll have the big you know duties award show that we always have every year. We're still working on the Hickman FF Fantastic Four episodes. Still, still in the pipe. We we really didn't want to become the all Hickman podcast and do that while we're covering Infinity. So now that Infinity is out of the you know, out of the gate, so to speak, uh, we can we can focus on that. So, right, and uh, Lock and Key is wrapping up very soon. There's still just that one issue left to come out, and then we can start doing our final. It's, it's hard to say Lock and final Lock and Key episodes. Um, I'm sure there'll be a mini series down the road somewhere that we can touch on again, but uh, it will be missed. And maybe now that they're uh, uh, prepping uh, um, Preacher for a television uh, show. We could go back and <laughs> get the third third chapter of Preacher in. We're only allowed one chapter of Preacher every half decade, Jim. You know the rules. That's what Jesse Custer told us, and I'm not going to argue <laughs> with the man. Not not one who speaks with the voice of God. New, no. new, new, new. Um, over on Jersey Shore, we just put out uh, episode 41, which was our music episode. We love the HHW music episodes so much we did our own. And uh, we also just did a 50th anniversary Doctor Who episode. Or wait a minute, so what are some of the young? What are the young people listening to, George? We weren't talking so much about specific bands, so much as we were talking about styles of music we like, um, genres, and and instruments we've played. Or in Pierce's uh, case, uh, singing he faked doing in choirs throughout school, which <laughs> was a fun story. Um, he's been in musicals and he faked his way through them. Um, so that that's a fun story. And and different uh, pet peeves about music. The episode's called No Guilty Pleasures because uh, one of my pet peeves is that people have guilty pleasures. If you like something, like, like it, it, damn it. Yeah, and I if you seen, don't, don't. I'm in the same. I, I totally agree with you. If you like um, it, just like it. Uh, coming up, we're also going to have a wrapping up the end of the year episode. We don't know quite how we're going to do it yet, but we're going to have some fun with uh, our our le- most favorite and probably least favorite things of 2013. Um, we've got an episode with uh, Dave and myself instead of Pierce this time, where we discuss some of our stories from Boy Scouts. Um, Pierce and Kevin. Uh, Kevin was in town. He, the two of them, forced me to do a Pokemon episode, mm-hmm. and so what it basically is, is the two of them talking about how much they love Pokemon and me making fun of them for an hour, and it's actually pretty fun. Oh, I feel um, like maybe on a Doctor Who episode. <laughs> yeah, um, it it gets pr- pretty funny if I dare say so myself. I went bluer than I normally would because I was so disinterested in the conversation. And uh, I had a, actually a lot of fun. A beer helps, I gotta say. And then also, you know, it won't be till like February or March, but we're gearing up for both our 50th episode and our 52nd episode, which will be uh, the year, uh, you know, our first year of podcasting with Jersey Shore. So we're looking to possibly do a three part extravaganza 
50 episodes, one year anniversary, three-parter episodes. Wow. And uh, so we're not sure what that's going to be yet, but we're going to try to make it fun and epic, or at least as fun and epic as you can expect from Jersey Shore. Wow. There will probably be beer involved, and, and as many of our friends as we can get in town. And of course, our ongoing podcasts are the uh, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, show and the uh, Sleepy Hollow uh, two-hour finale will be coming up, so I'm sure uh, Brandon and Aaron will be covering all of that goodness. And we'll probably do, be doing a season wrap-up uh, uh, Walking Dead show not too long from now. Or half-season, yeah. But, yeah, uh, yeah the Walking Dead's been awesome this, this half-season so far. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff coming up. But uh, if you want to find all those shows, you can go to hhwlod.com, and that's where you're going to find all those podcasts. You can subscribe to the Master Feed, get all the shows right there, or subscribe individually to the ones you want to hear. Uh, don't forget, check out uh, Facebook.com slash HHWLOD. Like we said, there's just the one group or the one Facebook page now. So you can get all of your information and lots of giveaways and all kinds of fun stuff right there in one place. You can leave us a voicemail. You can call the HHWLOD voicemail line. That's 972-798-3830. 972-798-3830. Just tell them that you're calling for the Long Box of Doom podcast or for any other show that you might want to call for. Or you can send us an email, LOD at HHWLOD.com. Uh, you can check out all the shows that we just talked about. There's lots of fun stuff. Stuff we mentioned, stuff we didn't coming up. Lots of fun stuff already on the network that's already out, and it's a lot of fun, a lot of good stuff there. Uh, follow us on Twitter at LOD Tweet and at HHWLOD underscore network. I'm at Jordan FRM Jersey, and Jim is at Yoda Jones. Uh, is there anything else we want to say before we uh, send that tractor into the barn or whatever the colloquialism you used before was? Uh, no. I live on a farm, so it's appropriate. And I live surrounded by farms and hide indoors where it's suitable for a human being to be. Fair enough. <laughs> Have a good week, everybody. And uh, we'll see you at the end of 2013. Have a good week. Have a good year. Have a good month. Just have fun. Yeah.
night was hot and black I see Robert Johnson With a ten dollar guitar Strapped to his back Looking for a tune Here comes Lucifer With his cannon Johnson and the devil man I don't know who's gonna rip off who driving my car flame trees on fire sitting and singing the Higbosom
laugh and make me sing Miley Cyrus floats in a swimming pool in Toluca Lake And you're the best girl I ever Thank you.